0: Two bombings in Brussels, Belgium yesterday, going off within an hour of each other and killing at least 30 people, injuring 230 more. ISIS did claim responsibility for the bombings, maybe in reaction to an attack by Belgian police forces a week ago, which captured the man suspected of being the lead of the Paris bombings, Salah Abdeslam. With more on this still-developing story, we're joined on the phone by Wharton Professor Erwan michel Kurjan, who's Executive Director of the Risk Management and Decision Processes Center, and Dr. Max Abrams, who's an Assistant Professor of Political Science at Northeastern University. He's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and a Senior Fellow at George Washington University Center for Cyber and Homeland Security, and he's also a University of Penn alum. Erwan, Max, great to have you both on the show.
1: Thanks Thank for, you having, for us. having
0: us. Great to have you both. Uh Erwan, we were just obviously having this conversation uh just a few months ago in the wake of the Paris bombings, and unfortunately I'm not surprised that we're having this conversation again. Are you?
2: no, and we had that discussion you said then a few few months ago and uh unfortunately my um my expectation is that we may have a further discussion in the next few months, given and uh even trends going on there, um, Europe is just starting to recognize, at least yeah, the public is just starting to recognize that the uh, the threat is uh, much more uh, spread and intense than um, what uh, what we fought before the uh, Paris attacks. So it's not something that just appears overnight. It's something that's fundamentally there to stay. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about that in Maxwell chime uh, chiming as well, but the uh, as the mode of operation is extremely simple here, if you know, you put a bomb in luggage, you go to the airport, you don't need to have a ticket because you don't have the security yet, and then the uh, the bomb explodes. And same thing for the um for the um, subway um, subway explosion. And uh, now it's uh, over thirty people died, and close to three hundred people have were uh, injured. So it's, uh, it's a tragedy for sure.
0: Max, I'm guessing no surprise for you either, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I agree with that summary entirely. I. Also, expect to see more violence of this sort. Uh, basically, you know, we're, we're describing the Paris attacks and Belgium attacks as if they're separate, but they're, of course, closely interrelated. Some of the attackers in the Paris attacks came from Belgium. Uh, it looks like they used the same kind of bomb making material. Even before that, in the Charlie Hebdo attacks, some of the weaponry came from Belgium. Uh, these guys knew each other, they worked together, they lived together, uh, they planned together, they coordinated, uh, and this is, a, this is unusual. This is a very large network of terrorists. Uh, so even before the Belgian attacks, we estimated the network to be about 30-plus members. And now, after the Belgium attacks, it seems that you know, it's clearly even bigger than that, and some of the guys apparently are still on the loose. So this is really the, the worst-case scenario, where for the past couple of years, European countries have worried that all the foreign jihadis leaving for their country, from their country would radicalize even more and train and you know, make contacts and build their networks and learn skills and maybe gain weapons and then return to the West and strike soft targets. And that appears to be exactly what's going on now.
0: That term soft target, I heard one reporter refer to the airport in Brussels as a soft target. And maybe it's, you know, a little bit of a different perception uh, in terms of what we see here in the United States compared to what is overseas. But I don't think of airports being soft targets. Go into that a little bit more, Max.
1: Well, I I agree. Um, In general, ISIS has been striking soft targets. Uh, I would say that... Uh, attacking inside of an airport, not the actual plane itself, might be, you know, coded, if you will, as a middling level of of hardness. Uh, But also the metro station was attacked. Um, These are really targets of opportunity. Uh, Terrorists are, are basically striking what they can. There doesn't need to be a high level of symbolism um, and, and that's honestly what makes counterterrorism so difficult, is that these guys don't seem to be picky at all.
0: And, and Erwan, I guess it goes back to what you said a second ago that if these bombs are going off before you actually go through security, then in some respects they are soft targets.
2: Well, and, and that's exactly the definition then. I mean, when, in, in the security world, when we talk about soft versus soft, hard, uh, hard means that you, you have to go through security. Uh, security gate and things of that nature so uh, I mean imagine you flying from Philadelphia airport this afternoon you bring your luggage with you you're going to get your your ticket at the counter Uh, you haven't had any security check yet I mean until you pass the the, the doors and you have to take your shoes off but until that point uh, you can carry on your luggage with a bomb in it and no one's going to stop you so I mean that that's also what uh, I think why people feel differently about what happened in, in Brussels in the sense that uh, Paris was a nightclub. I mean, people could say, "Well, I don't go to nightclubs," so you know, it's not me.
1: Right.
2: Airport and subway station. I mean, uh, look at your week and how many times are you going to take the subway or bus? Or I mean, now you're talking about mass transportation. And uh, to Max's point, it's very, very hard to to prevent that just because there is no way you're going to check everybody with a luggage until they go to the security check with their. Their tickets, so it's it's almost you know it's asymmetric uh, war.
0: Do, do you think though that because of the fact that the 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 people that were involved in the Paris bombing did have links to Brussels, and and obviously now we've had this that that Brussels and Belgium needs to be a greater focus on trying to root out a lot of of these these cells because seemingly we've heard stories about how Brussels there are there are neighborhoods within that city. That obviously a lot of these cells are, are basically set up in. Well,
2: that was my point, and, and Mark will well chiming too. That was my point earlier about the fact that it's not something that just happened overnight. Yep. Um, anyone in the intel world, intelligence world, will know that there are places in Europe, um, as we have here, where we have to monitor the people, and uh, you know, obviously, you think you're doing a good job until you you realize that you have not. Uh, but these people are, are not just coming up from from Syria as of last week. They've been there for a long time. Their family has been there, yep. uh, friends and relationships have been there for a long time. So, and the other thing I would say that obviously we're talking about Belgium because it's a different country than France, but the distance between Paris and the, and Brussels is like you know New York and Washington. So yeah, it's, 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 it's physically extremely close.
0: I, I guess Max, that the, then the question becomes, as as Irwan uh, just alluded to, that this comes at a time where we are seeing massive numbers of refugees making their way up towards Europe. And again, this will put the focus on how this is all being handled across Europe right now.
1: Yep. Uh, I think that you're absolutely right. Uh, This question of refugees uh, is becoming even more critical. Uh, I think that these kinds of events play into the hands of more right-wing candidates in the United States. It reinforces their message that um, which I don't agree with, which is that you know, Muslims you know, categorically are dangerous people um, and that we need to prevent Muslims from coming into the United States because in contrast to the type of border security we have in the U.S., there are very porous borders in uh, Belgium and France and in Greece and all over Europe. Yeah. Uh, and so it's really no surprise that we've seen, if you look at the polling, After the Paris attacks, and especially after the San Bernardino attacks, it's the right leaning candidates, the Trumps, the the Rubios, the Cruises, uh, who really benefited. Uh, Bernie Sanders has done well, but not by selling his foreign policy message. He doesn't actually like talking about that. Shortly after those attacks, uh, Rand Paul fell out of the race. And so uh, I can, you know, yesterday, as soon as the news hit, you know, when Trump woke up in the morning, uh, he was tweeting. About yeah. how he had absolutely nailed uh, the terrorism threat. He loves talking about this.
0: Erwan, uh, is this a discussion that has to even grow within the European Union countries right now?
2: Yeah, and to be to be fair, it, it has. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a challenge, as you know. I mean, our center has done a lot of work on extreme events, from terrorism to natural disasters, pandemic, yep. cyber attack, and you name it. But the, the challenge with with terrorism threats is that. Uh, the public or businesses, for that matter, don't necessarily see the threat until it's here. I mean, the, the communities don't necessarily talk to each other. So the intel community uh, is tracking that, and Europe has been, uh, has been collaborating much more than they used to, like two or three years ago. I would have not just Europe, but you know, I would I have the, uh, the British, the American, and Israeli intelligence services working very hard together. Uh, But that the public and businesses don't don't see it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, people are going to ask for more stringent uh, analysis of what has happened and more stringent action moving forward. The challenge is the one that I think we have been talking on your show for for, for the past 15 minutes is that when you look at the number of people who have an interest in brewing themselves and then you look at the very low level of sophistication of the weapon they're using, I'm not talking about the coordination aspect, but... Uh, you can go on the internet today anyone can go and use their favorite brother in 30 minutes to learn how to make a bomb i mean that's that's uh, unfortunately <laughs> access to the information there and you can go to your favorite uh, home depot or whatnot and, and have enough information to do it so the same thing here i mean you are not talking about very very uh, complicated uh, weaponry here i.e that could happen again uh, tomorrow anywhere in europe and uh, you know i don't think the us is immune to that as well. Um, you know, we've uh, we spent a lot of time with DHS and other federal agencies looking at these issues saying what does that mean for the U.S.? I think I agree with maps that our frontiers are much more uh, secure uh, by design. And also we had had, you know, we've seen 9-11, the Boston attack, but still yeah. uh, that could happen anywhere uh, in the world tomorrow.
0: We're talking with Wharton's Erwan Michelle Kirshan, Northeastern's Dr. Max Abrams about the attacks in Brussels yesterday. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I guess, Erwan, on top of that, it, it, then if the materials that they are basically using are not that sophisticated, obviously there is has to be a level of sophistication along the line for uh, the these people doing this because these these attacks continue to happen and a lot of people would think that with the sophistication level that a lot of the police forces and government forces would have that it would be a little bit easier to root out some of these these incidents before they happen obviously we see that happen in in a variety of places around the world including here in the US but a lot of people will say why do these continue to happen
2: well i think yeah you when know, we reverse the question is, and again that goes back to my earlier point about the fact that the, the general public will not know when police services stop attacks or intel services. So there, are, there have been many attacks that have been prevented around the world. And yeah, I don't want to reveal any secrets here, but obviously, when 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 they're stopped, no one's going to talk about it. So you did, you, you only hear about the the failure of uh, of, of, the, of of stopping these attacks. And yeah, I remember discussing with some of the. Uh, British government officials back in 2005, after the uh, July 2005 um, bombing in London, yeah. where they were telling a bunch of us that you know they had stopped so many attacks in London in the previous 20 months that, that they cannot kind of knew that one day they won't be able to stop it. So I don't want to compare the two, but you know I think the public has to understand that you know it's not because nothing happened that nothing happened. I mean the, the the next step is obviously the fact that it's you know 24/7 media coverage, which is exactly what ISIS wants and then uh impact on you know the ripple effect on, on businesses uh, you know airlines and transportation tourists uh, expatriation people may not want to go to europe as an expat anymore given what has happened in uh, in, uh, in paris and brussels here and um yeah so that that's, uh, that's not easy max
1: yeah if i could yep. just weigh in on the same question that yep. i've been uh... I mean, I, uh, you know, there's variation uh, between terrorist groups, uh, and one area where there's variation is in the quality of the fighters. Uh, and to a large extent, the quality of the fighters, like any or the quality of any members of any organization, depends on the screening process uh, for being admitted into the group. Yep. Uh, and, and in the case of Islamic State, they really have basically an open-door policy. Uh, this group is the leadership is totally indiscriminate about who may be a member, about the targets they can attack, when etc and so I think that it's a mistake to look at these Islamic state members and to conclude that they must be sophisticated. What's driving these attacks is actually the opposite It's not the sophistication of the attackers it's that you know, manufacturing this type of violence is very, very easy. And so, uh, yeah, my, my colleague Irwan is, is right. You can just look on the Internet. You, you can learn that you need to buy, you know, large amounts of hair bleach, for example, which could be turned into a bomb. Yeah. Or, or you, you could even just stab people or set something on fire. Uh, Islamic State is different in that regard than other terrorist groups. Uh, the IRA, for example, could have had a larger membership if it wanted to, but it did vet out people. Um, Even Al-Qaeda was pickier. Uh, Islamic State is basically appealing broadly for people to use violence, even locally, uh, any way they want. And so we're actually dealing with a lot of amateurs here.
0: Is it interesting, though, then, and this uh, news came out in the last, I think, like about 12 to 18 hours, the fact that uh, the the people that were involved in the bombing at, at the airport in Brussels, uh, two of them were brothers. And, and that's obviously very similar. People will remember here in the United States that it was brothers that, that really orchestrated the bombing at the Boston Marathon a couple of years back.
1: Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think that there were two brothers involved. They were both suicide attackers in the Belgium attacks. I think one of them may have struck the metro. I'm not sure they both operated in that airport, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, The point is that, yeah, you're right. There are uh, kinship ties, and that's really not uncommon because you know terrorists need to worry about their plots being detected. They need to have high levels of trust. They need to make sure that, you know, one of them isn't an informant, uh, you know, and that communications are protected. And so what better way to do that than, you know, through kin? Uh, Another example equally is in the San Bernardino attacks. It it was basically impossible for law, you know, enforcement to detect that plot and to thwart it because this was a couple that, for all we know, was hatching their plan, you know, in bed.
0: Erwan... is that going to be a a, a pattern that we see w- with the family connections even even more? And obviously, it's something that that uh, these types of groups uh, really can feed off of.
2: No, I think Max said it very very clearly here. The and uh, think about putting yourself in their shoes. If you want to uh, perpetrate some attacks anywhere in the world, you need you need to go through uh, security, intelligence monitoring, and all that. So. The best way to do it is to, you know, to gather together at the local mosque uh, and to do that in a direct family or extended family—the the, cousins, the brothers, the sisters, the father—because the, you know you trust, you trust each other. So uh, if you can keep that as close as the family, obviously uh, you are you're going to be in, in good shape. Unfortunately, so yeah, no, I mean, it's, not, it's not unusual. It hasn't been unusual in the history of terrorism worldwide. Uh, not just in the past 10 or 15 years, but in the past three or 400 years, that uh, yeah, the closer you are, the more likely you are to, uh, to go undetected, which is obviously um, priceless for us.
1: Uh, and just to build terrorists. on this point, these social ties uh, are, are very important in terms of predicting uh, future terrorist attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of good terrorism research that basically exploits uh, social network analysis. Because it seems like one of the biggest predictors that somebody will become a future terrorist is they're basically going out of their way to associate with somebody who's a known terrorist. Right. Um, I think that there's probably more predictive value there than in somebody's, you know, political views or you know, religious, you know, identity, et cetera.
0: It seems like, though, in terms of, of the attacks that we could potentially see the ones that ha- like happened in San Bernardino seemingly have more of an ability to happen. You know, when, when it's such a small piece to the unit, there is, you know, obviously there, as you said, uh, Max, there really was no thought in advance that, that this type of an attack could happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, law enforcement doesn't like to say this, but yeah. I'm not law enforcement. And, and that is that, uh, you know, we should expect a certain level of terrorism, even in the United States. Luckily, in the United States, it's still very, very low. The chances of being killed in a terrorist attack are smaller than almost anything else that we worry about. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Islamic State is, even as the group gets weaker, you know, even as the organization gets battered and you know and is under more and more duress in Iraq and in Syria, the, the Internet will still exist. And the leadership will still be able to appeal to people to commit attacks locally, and there will be you know, vulnerable people and radical people who will respond to this messaging. Uh, but the key is that we need to make the number of supporters, we need to keep the number of ISIS sympathizers in the U.S. very low. Um, that's the reason why we've been so safe. And the key to doing that, in my opinion, is to really cherish our relationship with the American Muslim community. Uh, because the American Muslim community overwhelmingly is on the side of law enforcement. Sure. And so we're not seeing many terrorists come out of the Muslim community. And when there is somebody who appears to be undergoing radicalization, uh, law enforcement is likely to get a tip. And so this is why I bristle when I you know, look at what Donald Trump is saying about cracking down on all Muslims, because that's the surest way to generate radicals in that, you know, segment of the population.
0: The other piece to it as well, Erwan, that that happens that probably a lot of people uh, saw, especially if you're living along the East Coast yesterday, was the increase in security by uh, by forces here in the United States, whether that be in Washington, D.C., New York. Saw it even here in Philadelphia this morning when I was going you know, arriving to work and coming through the train station. Police officers are there all the time uh, in, you know, in gear. Today, they were there with with rifles, with assault rifles.
2: Yeah, well, there are two reasons. One, you elevate the level of uh, of security, and two, you want to reassure the public. I mean, mean, to be be direct here, uh, people, I mean, if you take the subway or the train today, you see these uh, big guys with rifles, and you feel, okay, my government is doing the right thing here. And one thing I would like to come back to is also to bring the, I mean, it's not a perfect correlation, but the, the difficulty that Europe also has is, I mean, the US has been bouncing back, economically speaking, uh, much, much faster than Europe, and Europe, economically speaking, is still uh, trying to find itself in terms of recovering. So there are like 10, 50% unemployment in some of these areas, unemployment rates is like 50%, which we, which we don't have here. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it's complicated and we don't have time to go in great detail, but obviously if you don't have a job, if you don't have uh, financial protection, uh, you know, what do you do of, of your days? Well, you, you dream of a different ideal. And, uh, and to Max's point earlier, uh, because of the ally um, making progress in Syria in terms of knocking down ISIS, well, ISIS as an organization has to show its uh, its uh, members that it's still strong, and that you cannot do in Syria the same way it could have uh, two years ago, let's say. So now the... Uh, so, the quote unquote marketing campaign of ISIS could be said, so, well, we can hit hard in the heart of Europe and uh, look at us, we're still strong. So, forget about what's happening in Syria, actually. Look, we can hit uh, Paris, uh, obviously an iconic uh, city, uh, Brussels, the, right. French, and the financial sector. Uh, you know, if London is, is next to, you know, next month or in six months, uh, you know, that, that attracts. Uh, many people to the organization, unfortunately, I mean, because it's viewed as a success in their eyes, which is obviously tragic.
0: Max, how much do you think that's a factor as well, the I economy? Think I
1: think and... It's a factor. I think that it certainly uh, increases the risk factors. Uh, Belgium is a good example. Uh, Northern uh, Africa is also a good example. Uh, in to, you know, In Tunisia, for example, there are very high levels of unemployment there. I think in Morocco, there are high levels of unemployment. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that creates a a fertile environment for recruitment. Uh, And and, and that fact underscores, I think, the the limitations of ideology as a recruitment tool. Uh, Very often, you know, unemployed youth are attracted to the group because the organization essentially is providing them with something to do with their lives. They're free. They have nothing really going on at home. Uh, there aren't very high opportunity costs. They may be bored. They may want to take an adventure. Uh, and so the messaging, uh, which uh, you know, depicts Islamic State fighters beheading people, for example, uh, really shows them you know, with a lot of agency. And right. so I think that that message really resonates with the unemployed.
0: 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866, your comments. We're talking with Erwan michel Kerjan of the Wharton School and also Dr. Max Abrams of uh, Northeastern University. Craig is out on Long Island. Craig, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Um, although I'm not a big fan of isola- isolationism and I'm not
2: a big uh, Trump supporter, um, and I understand the comment about um, Trump's being so strong on the idea of, you know, grouping all Muslims and keeping Muslims out of the country. Yeah. I am curious what you think about Belgiums being so incredibly lax and so open to having immigrants and allowing them to be, you know, uh, supported by the government as soon as they come to try to ease their transition into their society and how that may have actually led to this being a big area
0: of many cells and... You know, the opposite end of the spectrum, actually. Max?
1: Yeah, I I agree with the the caller's question, with the thrust of it. Uh, I'm not saying border security doesn't matter. One of the reasons why the United States is safer than Europe right now when it comes to counterterrorism is precisely because already our borders are much firmer. Uh, I think that Europe needs to do something about its borders. Uh, I understand the humanitarian imperative of taking in refugees. But the reality is is that they're being processed so quickly that uh, government authorities don't really know exactly everybody who's in this pool. And so I'm afraid some terrorists inevitably are slipping in. Uh, that said, I don't think that we should, you know, go the other extreme and say Muslims categorically are not welcome, I would support sort of a a midway measure where, uh, and and Cruz, who I don't support in many, many other ways, I should say, um, has said, you know, we shouldn't allow Muslims coming into the country from basically areas where, you know, Muslim terrorists are thriving, uh, like Syria, uh, like Iraq. I don't think that that's unreasonable.
0: Erwan?
2: Well, it's uh, no great. That's a, that's a good question. I think obviously we're, you know, they're all playing politics one-on-one here, which is to uh, give you a sunbite that people can. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's not clear what, what that really means. I mean, uh, for, for the U.S. to do something like that will be going against, uh, you know, uh, the entire history of this country in terms of welcoming people coming from affected areas. No, um, the important thing is not to put a uh, uh, across on um, any religion, uh, otherwise we're denying, you know, who we are as a country, but rather to ask the tougher question, which is, well, uh, can we? do we have the capability to screening people, to understanding they could be at risk and something that hasn't happened in Europe? The other thing I will say about Europe, and we have two borders here. Uh, in Europe, the challenge is that there are many, many borders, and uh, these guys will come through the weakest link in the system, so um, through the Schengen uh, agreement, You basically can move from one con- European country to another without control anymore. So the only thing you have to do as, as a terrorist is to enter somewhere. And if the somewhere is lax in terms of security measures, uh, you're going to go through that. So whether it's Greece or Turkey, I mean, you, you name it. So that's, that's a big difference in the U.S. We can say, well, we're going to take a border in Canada and Mexico, and that's two, and that's it. In Europe, you have to do that in a number of ways.
0: Craig, thanks very much for the call. I greatly appreciate it. Erwan, uh, Max, thank you very much for your insight. Greatly appreciate your time today. Thank you again.
1: Thanks.
0: Thank you, Dad. Always a pleasure. You got it. Erwan, Michelle Kirshan to the Wharton School, Dr. Max Abrams, Northeastern University. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.